Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to this week's In the Oil Patch with Shale Magazine. My name is Alvin Bailey alongside your host, Kim Bilotto. Kim, a couple of great guests on tap today. We've got David Blackman coming up. Also, our energy expert. Our energy expert. And also, we've got a super special guest coming up later in the show. I couldn't agree with you more. The guests that we have had uh, as of lately are just absolutely phenomenal. And I love, you know, when we started the Oil Patch radio show, it was a uh, talking about energy and energy topics. We wanted to explore them more. But, you know, a year into this, we've really grown as a show in depth to where we don't just cover oil and gas. We cover policy issues, energy issues. We cover business issues and technology issues. We really do have a great handle on all the different things that affect our lives outside of energy and also including energy. Well, each and every week, you're going to hear about some of the oil and gas players. You're going to hear about local business in the state of Texas, and sometimes even nationally. Uh, technology is such a huge thing for this industry. The The technology has just, over the last 10 years, it's evolved into some really, really high-tech equipment and high-tech technology that's, that's getting the job done for us, and policy. Exactly. And you know, all of these topics are so important. We are not making the right policies in Washington, D.C. or even in Austin that affects our energy. And we've seen a lot of it. It does have an impact on all of us through job, job security, as well as the amount of taxes that we are, are, are raising. So it's an important topic, Alvin. And I also agree with technology. You know, oil and gas is the number one sector that creates the greatest technology coming out and in which everyone gets to utilize it. So I'll give you an example. In uh, Vegas, they have the Consumer Electronics Show. It's the largest show worldwide, bar none. It's an opportunity to actually show all the greatest technology that we're going to utilize or that we're utilizing. And almost every single piece of that is coming out of the innovation coming out and the technology from the oil and gas industry. Think about that. And we want to be here giving everybody that information firsthand of different technologies that affect us all for the betterment, but they're coming out of the energy sector. And, you know, to steal a line from, from our good friend David Porter, Regulatory framework matters. Absolutely. And we want to talk about it here on the show each and every week. And with that, Kim, let's bring in our first guest. He's our resident oil and gas expert, David Blackman. Kim? Thank you, Alvin. And today we have back on the show our energy expert, David Blackman, who's with DB Energy Advisors. David, welcome back to In the Oil Patch. Thanks. Happy to be here. You know, you're such a great wealth of information, and one of the things that I love to ask you about is, um, you know, you're very, very knowledgeable on something that I think a lot of Americans struggle with, is understanding the political whole cycle that occurs, especially at the time when we're electing a president. And so that's going to be the topic that I want to cover. We're going to move away from energy, even though you're our energy expert, you also are extremely knowledgeable in the area of of uh, policy and politics. So, you know, we are officially now entering into the general election campaign season. 
And with both major parties holding their national convention and taking place over the past two weeks, there's lots to discuss. So the first question that I have for you is um, the Republican convention. How do you feel that it went for the party and, of course, for their nominee, Donald Trump? Well, I, you know, to hear the media t- tell it, you would have thought it was going to be a, a unmitigated disaster for both the party and for Trump, but uh, actually turned out to be a very effective convention. Um, I think, to me, the, the highlights of the convention, I think probably the highlights so far of the entire political season was was Trump's kids and watching them, how composed and, and eloquent they were and the, and the speeches they gave was pretty Pretty amazing, really, to, to think that those are those are young people in their 30s uh, who are not really involved in the political processes. And, and frankly, I thought that uh, those three speeches by by Don and Eric and and, and then uh, Ivanka there uh, on the final night were some of the most effective speeches of political season. Uh, Mr. Trump's speech was, I guess, effective. You know, it seemed to poll well and 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 did well with the focus groups afterwards and and so he got you know a bump uh, out of his conventions uh, uh, a lot of uh, observers didn't think he would but they, it looked like uh, coming out of that convention he got a four to five point bump which is about uh, you know pretty much the average over the last 20 years or so uh, for these political conventions so overall you'd have to say it was pretty effective I agree. I think that I saw, uh, first of all, Harold Hamm, who's president of uh, Continental Resources, did an extremely well job on his speech. And also, there wasn't the hype that was expected that all these things were going to happen. It was. It seemed to be very well organized. But how do you, let's change gears and let's talk a little bit about the Democratic Convention. How do you feel it went? Was it successful? And was it successful for Hillary Clinton, their candidate? Well, once they got past the, the whole WikiLeaks, uh, DNC email uh, revelation and the scandal that caused uh, on the leading into it, and uh, you know, on the first day they had to fire Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the, who had been the chairman of the party, and uh, you know that's never a good thing to something you w- would want to happen on the first day of a convention. But uh, once they got past that, you know, and uh, with 99% of the national news media acting as their cheerleaders, you know, it ended up being very successful. Um, to, to me, uh, the first lady's speech was, was really excellent and extremely well done. She's, she's a, just an extraordinary public speaker. And of course she had the, 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 the president speak and, and, and former president Bill Clinton. And so you had all these heavy hitters, uh, making speeches at the convention and really providing the highlights. And then Mrs. Clinton, you know, she's, it's a tough act to follow for her. She's, she's not a particularly effective uh, public speaker and to have to follow uh, President Obama and, you know, uh, and President Clinton and, you know, uh, all these people who are really polished at it uh, is a very hard thing, but I thought she did well. And, and again, you know, immediately following the convention, uh, you know, she got, uh, again, a, a pretty average bump out of it. And so, you know, basically at that point, the race just had gone right back to where it was before the conventions began. So right. uh, both both parties had successful and, and well-run conventions. Well, you know, speaking of the uh, WikiLeaks, the 22,000 emails that were released, do you think that that scandal is pretty much over at this point, or do you think it'll have a lingering effect? 
Well, I, you know, if if um, you know if it had happened to the Republicans, it would uh, be a, a lead story in the media for years, uh, months, and years. It would just go on like like the Iran Contra thing did in the 1980s and through really even into the 1992 election campaign. But uh, you know, the media will has already dropped it. They dropped it uh, before the convention was over, frankly, and. Uh, there will be more. Uh, the WikiLeaks people promise that there's uh, more to come uh, uh, from these kinds of releases of confidential information from the DNC and from the Clinton campaign. And, and uh, you know, at that point, uh, there will be more reporting about it. But, um, you know, I mean, it's just a fact, and I'm not going to mince words about it. CNN and CBS and NBC and ABC and, and the Times and the Washington Post are all actively campaigning on behalf of Mrs. Clinton. And so they will look for any excuse to drop stories like this and move on to something else. I mean, even, you know, we're seeing this week this $400 million cash payment to the Iranians is obviously in exchange for the release of these hostages. And uh, other than Fox News, you have a hard time finding reporting on that story. Uh, so it, it's just It'll last as, uh, you know, they'll all do perfunctory reporting on it, but then they're going to move away from the story as fast as they can. Right, which is pretty troubling. But, of course, I want to move on to Trump because he, too, had his own, um, he created his own distraction as well, getting into an ongoing exchange with the father of an American soldier who was killed in 2014 in Iraq. Um, So his poll, you know, how do you think it's going to impact his poll numbers this week? Well, it, it's impacted them already. I think, you know, it really enhanced the uh, the polling bump that Mrs. Clinton got out of her, her campaign and, or her convention, and uh, it was just kind of a ill-advised thing for him to get into and spend so much time focusing on. But, uh, right. but you know, the damage is done, and at this point, I think uh, it, it's really kind of run its course as, as a real story, and... Uh, but it's just the kind of thing he has to avoid from from here on out. Uh, he can win the election if he avoids things like that, but if he doesn't, you know, he's he, he's going to have a hard time uh, winning in November. Right, and I don't know. I mean, I was actually paying attention to the uh, uh, Florida com- uh, speech that he gave, and that stadium was unbelievably packed. I mean, he's still packing in yeah. um, stadiums everywhere. So, where do you see the race going from here, and how would you? Would you like to go out maybe on a limb or use your crystal ball and give us your prediction of how does this outcome come? We're going to do it now, and then we'll do it closer to November and see where we really end up. Sure, yeah. Uh, well, I've, I've been pretty outspoken since really last September that, that this is Trump's race to, to lose. The, the overall mood of the public is clearly for a significant change in direction in the national government, then that, that's as directed at Republicans as it is at the president and the, and the Democrats. And, and so clearly, if they're given a viable alternative to a third term of Barack Obama, which Mrs. Clinton would deliver, um, they will take it and he will win the election. But he has to give them a viable, acceptable alternative. And spending half a week uh, in a back and forth with uh, some guy who's not even in the political world who spoke at the Democratic National Convention is the really probably the only way I think he could lose the election. Uh, he's behind in the polls right now, but you know that that doesn't really mean much at this point. Right. Jimmy Carter was uh, 17 points up on Ronald Reagan 
coming out of his convention in 1980. So uh, right. a lot can change between now and November. But right now, if I had to make a prediction, I guess I would still predict that, that at the end of the day, Donald Trump will win. Well, very interesting because, you know, um, we still have the WikiLeaks promising more emails. So yeah. <laughs> maybe you're possibly correct, depending on what comes out from there. Well, David, it was a pleasure speaking to you this week about both the Democratic and the Republican Convention and your thoughts on uh, where does this race go. Uh, you are right. Until November, it's a long way away and a lot of things can change. But we look forward to having you on next week in which we'll get back on some topics of energy. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here, and we'll talk to you again in a week. Kim, always great to have David Blackman on. What a great expert to have access to. And, and with that, we do need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey, along with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from Shale Studios, and we'll be right back. Hey, folks, join Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine in partnership with the Corpus Christi Regional Economic Development Corporation for the second annual State of Energy event. Shale Magazine and the CCREDC will welcome industry leaders, business, and community stakeholders for a discussion on the current state of energy sectors that include exploration and production, LNG and refineries, and the industry's future opportunities and challenges in a disruptive market. Our keynote speaker will be Karen Harbert, President and CEO of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's Institute for the 21st Century. We'll also have a special panel of speakers that you won't want to miss. It's all happening on October 12, 2016 at the Omni Hotel in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. Doors open at 11.15 and the speakers begin at 11.30 a.m. So get your tickets at the CCREDC website. That's www.ccredc.com. Again, get your tickets at www.ccredc.com, and we look forward to seeing you there. Steer is calling all oil and gas industry companies, contractors, and all community stakeholders to submit an entry or nominate a deserving company or organization for the fourth annual Eagle Ford Excellence Awards. Eagle Ford Excellence Awards provides oil and gas companies, organizations, and their contractors an opportunity to be acknowledged for their efforts in preserving the environment, contributing to the companies in which they work and promote safety in and around the workplace. Submit your entry or nominee today. For more information and to nominate a company or organization, please email info at steer.com or visit steer.com slash EFEA. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey alongside your host, Kim Bellotto. And Kim, you know, we talked last segment about what a great guest we've got on tap for this segment, Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sinton. Welcome to the show, Commissioner. Well, thanks for having me back. It's always good to chat with you guys. You know, uh, Commissioner Sinton, the last time you were here, uh, we were having discussions that were revolving more around, um, you know, the, the drilling and um, what's happening with um, some of the permitting and, and the slowdown. And, and it seems like it's proper to bring you back on and talk a little bit about what's going on at the actual Railroad Commission. And you guys were looking at um, electing a new Railroad Commission commissioner, excuse me. And um, so we did have a discussion um, on one of our past shows about the Sunset Review. And so um, I want to get into that. But first, can we talk a little bit about you and your post there? How long have you been a commissioner? And uh, tell us your background as far as what makes you a great fit for being a Texas Railroad Commissioner. Oh, 
sure. Well, thank you for that introduction, Kim, and thanks for the, the opportunity to toot my own horn a little bit. Uh, so I've been a railroad commissioner now for a year and a half. It seems like it was just yesterday that I was sworn in, but it actually was January of uh, 2015, so it's been a year and a half. Uh, I'm an engineer by background, a mechanical engineer out of Texas A&M, uh, and I have spent my entire career now in the oil and gas business. When I first got out of college, uh, went to work in the energy space, spent some time with Oxy, uh, with Marathon, uh, owned my own oil and gas engineering and technology company, uh, and now here I am, a, a Texas Railroad Commissioner. I've actually spent a lot of time as well during my career dealing with uh, regulations and uh, even even inside the regulatory and civil court system, uh, experiencing the impact of regulation and how good regulation, good science, can have a positive impact on the overall industry and on the communities in which the industry operates, and seeing very directly how poor science and political regulation can have a negative impact. So I've got a, a really diverse background. I'm the first engineer in 50 years to serve as a railroad commissioner, and uh, it's been a really neat experience bringing that uh, background and that expertise uh, to this role. You know, out of all the elected posts, in my opinion, the Texas Railroad Commission has got to be one of the most important. And the reason is experience does matter. And to have you elected makes me feel a lot better uh, because you understand what's really happening on all different sides of the spectrum. Um, I want to get into the importance of, um, let's talk a little bit about the Sunset Review can you tell us what that is and um, how, uh, you know, how it affects um, the Railroad Commission on this review? Sure. Well, to remind your listeners, who many of them probably don't know, Texas has a really, uh, and in fact, I think a really cool thing that it does. The legislature a long time ago created what was called Sunset. The idea was government bureaucracies, by nature, will grow and swell and may or may not remain useful. So the legislature, back over 100 years ago, created a sunset, which meant every state agency, every period of time, you know, six years, eight years, 12 years, would go through sunset. And the idea was that it was presumed agencies would be sunsetted or be eliminated, and an agency had to come and prove that they were viable, that they, were, they had a good... They were adding good value to the state in order to remain. And what that did was created an inherent uh, program to keep the size and the scope of government small. I think that the philosophy is an exceptionally good one and one that Texans should be proud of. Well, the Railroad Commission is just like any other state agency. We come up for sunset review. And I think a lot of people would say, well, I mean, I could see where some agencies may not uh, have a continued viable use, but surely the Railroad Commission... Uh, wouldn't, would be unquestioned, because this is the biggest chunk of our state's economy, and you've got this really competent, very uh, accomplished staff that regulates it. Well, the exercise we're going through as we come into this legislative session is going through sunset review, and it's not necessarily just about being eliminated or not. It's looking for opportunities to improve, because we all know we have those opportunities. It's a, it's a, it's a part of life. And the legislature, the 150 state reps and 31 senators, are the group that represent their local communities in making sure that we, the Railroad Commission, are being the agency that the state wants us to be. So I think this opportunity, while, while it will be challenging to make sure that we are doing everything we can, it's also a really good opportunity to demonstrate our value 
and to, um, to, to learn new things and get some insight in areas that we can improve. Commissioner, do you think there are any areas where the Railroad Commission can do better, or are there some areas that the Railroad Commission really doesn't need to be? What, what's your overall feeling about that? Well, in general, I think the Railroad Commission is absolutely vital to the state. And, and let me put a very specific point on it, then I'll, that, that sums up the whole Railroad Commission. And let me talk about some other specifics after that. The Railroad Commission is the state's, and when I say the state, I'm talking about 27 million Texans. We are the agency that's responsible to those 27 million Texans so that they feel comfortable with the way the oil and gas industry is functioning within our state. The oil and gas industry represents somewhere around a third of our entire state's economy. So we really need people in this state to feel comfortable with how that's being done. We want them to be confident. So this agency in that capacity is vital. And the things that we do, which go well beyond just granting permits, it's, you know, we, we do everything from setting uh, pipeline rates to uh, exploring seismicity issues, to evaluating water usage uh, and, and potential water impacts. I mean, we, everything that, that, that is touched by the oil and gas industry, we regulate, we research, we monitor. So I think those responsibilities in a broad sense are all crucial. We don't have anything today that is no longer needed. That's the short answer. Now, are there some areas that we can improve? Sure. I mean, there's always enforcement that we are doing, right? We know that. There's, when you have literally millions or, or hundreds of thousands of people working in this industry and uh, tens of thousands of different companies, there's enforcement things that we do. How do we track those things and report those things? And there's opportunities to improve in those areas, and we're always working on those things. And when we hear that the Sunset, Advisor, the Sunset Agency and the, the staff uh, agrees and helps, helps identify those areas for us to improve, then we're, we're going to work on those. Super. We're coming up on the end of this segment, Commissioner. We want to talk elections and the presidential election, namely, in the next segment. But right now, we do need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey, alongside your host, Kim Bellotto, visiting with Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton, and we'll be right back. Ever feel like you've hit a wall with your business? Like you haven't been able to turn the corner on a new avenue for your company? Well, Turning Point Strategies is here to help. Turning Point Strategies is for those startup companies or companies that have been doing very well, but maybe want to move to the next level or are at a turning point. They're looking to think outside the box, and that's where we come in. We provide those different strategies to help them turn the corner at that point where they need consulting services. At Turning Point Strategies, we can not only help you turn the corner, we will give you insight on how to prevent yourself from hitting another plateau. We have helped a lot of different companies at many different levels succeed. Call us today at 210-227-5678. Again, that number is 210-227-5678. And visit our website, turningpointstrategies.com. Again, that's turningpointstrategies.com. Are you at your turning point? Oil Field Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, Oil Field Experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. 
And welcome back to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey alongside your host, Kim Bilotto, visiting with Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sinton. Kim. Uh, Commissioner Sinton, before the break, we we wanted to uh, uh, talk to you a little bit about this upcoming presidential election that's occurring. You know, uh, last week we saw the uh, Republican National Convention, and this week uh, we're off to a fantastic start with the Democratic uh, National Convention. But I wanted to get your thoughts on um, which uh, candidate do you think is is really uh, speaking more to the people, and what are your thoughts on both of the uh, conventions and um uh, what do you see happening here in the near future with the, both of these candidates? Sure. Well, as anybody who has paid attention to um, the things I've been doing during this presidential campaign, uh, I was an early Ted Cruz supporter, really believed in Ted and his message. I knew he understood the vision for our country. So uh, as we've evolved now into the, the race between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, you now have a very, very kind of stark contrast. And look, I tell everybody today, I'm going to vote for our party's nominee. I'm a Republican. I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. However, I'm also not bashful about saying we don't know a lot about Donald Trump. We, he's never served in elected office. He, um, a lot of the, the, the things he has said on his campaign trail give many of us pause. So today, I am I like a lot of Texas elected officials are taking the approach that our responsibility today is to the Texans for whom we work. And our job is to make sure that this state continues to remain strong. You see, Texas today, in fact I just saw somewhere that Glenn Hager uh in, in sizing up the Texas economy says we've moved up a notch or two. We're now like the tenth or eleventh largest economy in the world if we were our own country. So the things that I will do on a presidential scale, yes, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump, but that's not where my responsibilities end. It is to make sure that as he serves, hopefully, as our president, that we are being very direct about the things that are important to Texans. You know, when he talks about doing better trade deals, that's great. Texas does half a billion dollars a day in trade with Mexico, much of that in the oil and gas business, selling natural gas to Mexico. We need to protect that. That's a huge opportunity and a huge piece of our economy. When we talk about future expansion, export of oil, export of natural gas, opening up future opportunities, I need to make sure that the the positions that are important to Texans are not just being advocated for, but are 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 basically being supported by whoever our president is. So I've got my concerns, I've got my pause, but I know how I'm going to vote, and I know what action I'm going to I'm going to be taking, regardless of who gets elected. I want to switch gears just a little bit and move on to, you know, you guys, you, you're, you all are talking about, Commissioner Sinton, a lot of things that are happening, especially as we get a new president. And you guys have a brand new executive director, Kimberly Corley. And what is her role and how has she effectively come in and changed uh, the way that the Railroad Commission was doing things prior to her coming aboard? And uh, what do you see plans happening here for you guys, uh, you know, here the last quarter and then also in the new year? Well, Kim Corley is what we call the executive director of the Railroad Commission. In, in a short version, she is the chief operating officer, if you will. So she, is, she handles running all of the agency on a day-to-day basis. The three railroad commissioners are sort of a three-headed CEO slash board of directors that oversees all of the commission, but the day-to-day operations are all handled by Kim. Kim came to us, had never had a, a, a role in politics. She came out of private industry, 
uh, and which I tell you has been a tremendous benefit. She is uh, she's a, a get her done type of person. She has got that that drive, and she also has a lot of professional experience in in operating uh, entities that have a lot of accountability in them. So I think she is a just an amazing addition to the commission. I'm thrilled to have her there. And I think she is going to, uh, over time, leave an incredibly positive uh, impact on the commission. So that's what she's doing, and that's what, that's what she does. Uh, you, the second part of your question was what's kind of coming up on the horizon. Well, obviously here the last half of this year we're getting ready. Uh, we're, we're getting ready. You, you mentioned sunset in the first segment. Uh, we also are getting our budgets ready. You know, we, we've seen as the industry has gone down, in terms of uh, revenues and activity, that, that's had a direct impact on the Railroad Commission. And we want to make sure that we are positioning ourselves to be ready for when the industry comes back. You know, one thing I, we need to make sure we don't do, for example, is, is allow our staff to, to morph and, and even shrink a little bit through natural attrition, and then sure enough, in the next year or two, industry activity jumps way up, and we're not ready to support that. So we're always looking forward a year, two years, three years, making sure that we as an agency are ready to support our communities, our constituents, and the industry so that uh, everybody can continue to thrive. Commissioner, we do need to take a quick break, but I want to I continue looking into the future when we come into the next segment. We're going to talk about OPEC, and, and let's talk rig, rig counts and the export ban and, and all the fun stuff that we like to talk about in the oil and gas industry. But right now, we do need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey, alongside your host, Kim Bellotto, visiting with Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sinton. We'll be right back. Hey, 2016 is a great time to grow your business, and there is no time like the present to improve the awareness of your brand. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210 210- 2407188 again 2102407188 and welcome back to in the oil patch my name's Alvin Bailey here with Kim Bellato and Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sinton commissioner we kind of talked in the last segment about uh, Kimberly Corley, the new executive director of the Railroad Commission, and and we started kind of getting into some of the Railroad Commission's plans for next year. But let's expand on that and talk about, you know, what are the current rig counts? What is the industry doing right now? Well, I think the U.S. rig count, if I, I saw in the last day or two, was like 460, something like that. U.S. rig count, that's down nearly half of what it was a year before. So we're still substantially below uh, the levels that we were at our peak. Now, that said, recounts are up about 
15 or so from a month ago. So you're, you're seeing that oil prices getting some stability, even climbing up a little bit. Um, we're, we're, we're seeing them bump up even close to $50 a barrel again. Uh, and you're seeing that, that that is providing enough impetus for people who have the right assets to start reinvesting and, and bringing more capital in and deploying more rigs. So you're seeing a slow but sure turn, and it's, frankly, a lot of us thought that we would see that this year. We, we saw supply and demand around the globe uh, begin to come back into alignment. We know that on the long run, on the long haul, that will push prices up versus an oversupplied scenario. And when that happens, people will start to put capital back into some strategic position. So it's a good sign. I think a lot of us, especially in the Houston areas, are pretty excited because we feel like, hey, things are slowly but surely coming back. And, uh, and we also know, or we, are, we feel confident, and I certainly do, that Texas is going to be a place where people want to put capital. When they look around the world at where there are oil and gas opportunities, the days of the multi-billion dollar offshore projects in Africa and Gulf of Mexico, South America, are probably changing to the you know, $10 million wells and $5 million wells right here in Texas. It's easier to deploy the capital. You get a quicker return and quicker oil on the market. So I think we're well-positioned, and I think we're, we're seeing the bottom, if you will, maybe a little bit of a slow climb out, but the, the future looks really optimistic. Now, Commissioner, with, with us starting to see some balance back in the, in, in the oil and gas industry, what do you think OPEC's going to do? Well, we've seen some signals already. You, you know, it was, uh, gosh, a couple months ago, maybe longer now, that um, the Saudis made a change in their oil minister, uh, hired a guy away. The, the CEO of Saudi Aramco was, was moved out of that position to become the Saudi oil minister. Interestingly enough, that guy is an Aggie. He went to school at Texas A&M and uh, now is the head of uh, – he's now the Saudi oil minister. Uh, you know, what, what I think you were seeing was the Saudis – were, wanted to get a deal done. In other words, they wanted to get some alignment within the OPEC nations to bring production offline, and part of that is driving a pretty hard bargain and a pretty hard message with Iran. So I think that, that across the, 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 the spectrum, the OPEC nations now, other than Iran, uh, want to see an agreement, want to be able to pull uh, to, to control production because they're getting the negative impacts of this environment as much or worse than we are. And I think there's all the signals out there that they're trying to get that done. So if, with, with the supply demand coming into in a positive environment, with OPEC looking to make those same moves, I, I, once again, it gives us all the indications that the, the, the future looks positive. Well, now, Commissioner Sinton, one question I have pertaining to OPEC is, um, you know, we've heard quite a bit about um, that now the U.S. is sitting in the position to be the swing producer and uh, on top of that, that the Texas Railroad Commission is the agency that basically uh, everyone is looking towards to lead uh, and create, you know, a, a standard somewhat like OPEC did, but here in the United States. Would you say that that's a fair statement or how do you feel going forward with is, is any of this uh, discussion that we're hearing out there? Is that true? Is it valid? Is it just absolutely not true? I mean, what are you hearing? What do from the Texas Railroad Commission, of the role y'all will play? Uh, very good question, Kim. And, and look, the Railroad Commission has the power today. I and the other two commissioners, if, if we so desired, could set allowable levels 
or set proration levels and control Texas production and therefore make Texas become the swing producer right now and control the price of oil. Uh, if I went in tomorrow and said to uh, Christy and David, hey, guys, and I could somehow convince them, let's pull uh, 20% of Texas oil production off the market by setting proration levels at, say, you know, 30% off of the max or 70%, you'd see oil prices spike tomorrow. In fact, every once in a while I'll have oil and gas guys who have been around a long time say, Ryan, you should do that. <laughs> the problem is that if we, raise the, if we do those things to raise the price of oil here, we also raise it for everybody else around the world, and they don't have to cut production. We need to allow today the advantages that are inherent in Texas production, the really great infrastructure we have here, the capital we already have deployed, the technology, the personnel. Let them compete at the current price environment because when that happens in today's world, the U.S. is going to win. Now, it's going to be a little painful, and I, I, don't want, to, I, I want to make sure I'm respectful to all of the, my oil and gas friends and, and people out there who are struggling right now, but I believe – three, four years down the road, what you're going to see is without artificial price controls, Texas is going to continue to lead, and this is going to be a place people want to invest. We'll be getting a premium for our oil versus today we're getting a discount for our oil based on the ease of investment here, right here in our backyard. So I think we let this play out, let Texans do what they do, let these businesses operate like they operate, and we'll, we'll reap the benefits. Very interesting. You know, we had uh, Congressman Heard on the show not too long ago, and he was discussing how um, there's a lot of discussion from the Sierra Club of trying to um, eliminate natural gas as well. And it seems kind of strange, the timing, because we've just actually lifted the export ban or repealed the export ban just this year. And so we're starting to see that area, which uh, a ban that had existed for 40 years, finally lifted. And, and now we're able to start exporting some of our crude and natural gas. And it just seems strange, the timing. So I'm going to, when we come back, I have to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to get into the export ban and the natural gas discussion with you. And you're listening to In the Oil Patch, and we will be right back. Hey, oil and gas friends, Alvin Bailey here. You know, every week, Kim and I work really hard to bring you up to speed with what's going on out here in the Texas oil patch. I also want to take just a minute to talk to you about your fleet needs. Whether you have one truck or 1,000 trucks in your fleet, I can help you. Call me when you have a minute and let's talk trucks. Did you know that the Kalig Auto Group offers pickup and delivery right from our service departments? And I'll bring the dealership right to your desk. You don't need to drop what you're doing and come waste hours and hours of your valuable time haggling over pennies. I have a very transparent process with a simple pricing formula that ensures you're always going to get a very competitive price and the very best service available in the industry. So call me today, area code 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656, and let's talk. The Kalig Auto Group has Ford and Ram trucks for your heavy-duty needs. We also carry Mazda, Subaru, Volkswagen, Jeep, even Lincoln and Lexus for your luxury needs, and we have an Audi store coming soon. So whether you need work trucks for your day-to-day -day business or a new Lincoln or Lexus for you personally, call me. My cell number is 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656, or you can always email me. A Bailey at KaligAuto.com. That's A Bailey, B A I L E Y, at Kalig, K A H L I G, Auto, A U T O.com. I look forward to seeing you down the road. 
Oil Field Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, Oil Field Experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey alongside your host, Kim Bellotto, visiting with Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sinton. Kim. You know, uh, Commissioner Sinton, before the break, I was having a discussion on the export ban, the repeal of the export ban, a huge, huge thing that happened. 40 years of having a ban on exporting here in the United States. That was repealed. And um, now there are uh, anti-oil and gas organizations such as the Sierra Club who who have made it known that they uh, want to um, get rid of natural gas, um, take a look at the export ban, and, and really start, you know, tinkering with things that have already been approved for export. So what are your thoughts on um, the natural gas and uh, these environmentalist clubs that are uh, coming and trying to remove the production of, of uh, exporting crude and natural gas? Well, first of all, to put in context, make sure everyone out there knows that the export ban that was listed was on the export of raw crude oil. didn't actually affect natural gas. Natural gas, you still have to get a permit to build an export facility, but we, we can export that. We could export that even before the ban was listed. However, what, I, what we're seeing across the world is a real shift in the opportunities to use natural gas. One of the numbers I love to talk about is right now in the United States, we're paying, here in Texas, we're paying $2 and change for a BTU of natural gas. Well, in Europe, they're paying close to $8, I think, $7 and change, $7, close to $8 a BTU. Nearly four times as much for natural gas as we pay here. And that, that's a market where the Russians are making literally a ton of money. And here we are trying to, to sort of reposition ourselves as a leader in the marketplace, ensure national security, support our allies. What an easier way to do it than to, than to support them by sending them natural gas, continuing to export, bringing in a more stable uh, product, and, and also diminishing potential um, conflicted parties, in other words, people that don't see eye to eye with us, diminish their financial reserves by also competing in that marketplace. So it's got so many benefits to continue to expand natural gas production. You ask me, well, why is it then that an environmentalist group would try to diminish this industry? Well, unfortunately, those groups I have found, by and large, are politically based, not philosophically or scientifically based. In other words, in order for the Sierra Club to raise money, they need to convince everybody out there that things are destroying the world. Natural gas, oil is somehow poisoning children and destroying the world. And it, because if they can't convince people of that, then people won't donate money and the people running the Sierra Club won't get their salaries. So we are seeing the, the, the poor application of a few things, a few ideas, a few philosophies to drive a political agenda instead of saying what's really good for this nation and what's good for the people and what's good for national security and even what's good for the environment. I mean, everybody out there knows Natural gas is a very clean burning fuel. So don't we want to use more of that in things like automobiles and power plants than we do other sources that we depend on? Now, if you hear environmentalists talk, well, they'll say, well, what we should do is eliminate coal, eliminate natural gas, eliminate crude oil. 
And, okay, well, how are you going to move people around the country? Well, we'll do it all with electric cars and solar and wind and hydroelectric. And then I say, of course, well, what do you do when the wind stops blowing or the sun stops shining? Well, then we'll have redundancy. In other words, I'll have enough power supply that any of these systems could work, which, to which I respond, well, that's fine as long as everybody out there is willing to, to pay seven times as much for their electric bill as they pay today. So if a guy at home who's paying $200 a month in the summertime for his electric bill is willing to pay $1,400 per month for his electric bill, then I can go eliminate all these products that we currently use and go to all these redundant non-traditional systems. Well, guess what? 99% of the population is not willing to do that. If you'd have asked me a year ago when we were, you know, the middle of 2015 and people asked me, Ryan, you know, oil prices are going to come back, right? I said, yes. But it's, we're looking at kind of the end of 2016. So in other words, I was telling people a year ago it was going to be a year and a half before oil prices would come up. I thought the end of this year is when we'd start to see them really come up. And I thought we were going to see $70 a barrel this year. I still think there's a chance we'd do that, but I think more and more, because what we're seeing is a, 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 we're seeing a slow investment. We're seeing we had a really warm winter, so stockpiles didn't go down much from a heating oil perspective. Um, so I think we'll probably look at first quarter of 2017 before we see the, the, the $60 a barrel consistently and even $70 a barrel. Now, I think we will see that absolutely. In other words, when people ask me in a broad scale, will we see $60, $70 a barrel? Absolutely. And it's not going to be years away. You know, we're talking, we're talking months, not years until we see that, but it might be middle of next year before we see that consistently. Now on the flip side, I think it will be a while before we see consistent $80 a barrel. You've got a lot of ability to bring product on the market in a lot of different areas. You've got a lot of inventories that will go that will that we can deplete when we start getting up into the 70s. Um, so I and I think a lot of the financial vehicles that you would need to drive the fields, um, you know, drive the fields to really really. Um, when you get to the, those bigger dollar amounts, those financial vehicles are going to be easily available in the 70s. In other words, we'll be able to produce enough oil, if you will, at $70 a barrel to really keep the market supplied. So I think a, a nice sweet spot for us that we can expect in 2017 and for a while is kind of that $70 a barrel range. That's a range where you can, you can produce well, you can operate profitably. It's not obscene, but it's also not something that's going to cause a huge spike and, you know, drilling rigs being built uh, by the dozens a week. So that, that's the forecast I'll give you. Very good. Well, as always, Commissioner Sinton, it is a pleasure to have you on the show, uh, bringing us up to date on what the Texas Railroad Commission is working on. We do thank you for coming on our show and look forward to having you when you return back to talk a little bit about maybe oil prices and what's going on at the Texas Railroad Commission. Well, Kim, it's always good to be here, Alan. Thanks for having me today. And as always, if, y'all, if you ever have any questions, I'll be glad to come back. Commissioner Sitton, thank you so much. I I wish we could have got into your vacation, but maybe next time. (laughs) Maybe next time. Y'all take care. Kim, you know, great guest as always, Commissioner Sitton. We don't have to do a whole lot, but just listen. (laughs) What a sharp guy. He's a sharp guy, and I'm so happy that the voters of Texas elected him. You know, they got it right. He is the perfect person. So much experience. Absolutely, Kim. Sharp guy. What a great guest. And you know what time it is, don't you? 
Yes, I do. That's right. It's time for Oil and Gas Trivia. Trivia. And here's what you're going to want to do. You're going to want to be the first person to email the correct answer to the question Kim's going to give you in just a second to radio at shalemag.com. Again, that's radio at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com. Kim, what's our question today? Uh, you know, Alvin, Commissioner Sinton today mentioned that the new Saudi oil minister is an Aggie just like him. So the question is, can you tell me what is Commissioner Sinton's degree that he holds from Texas A&M? I wish I could answer that and get that uh, $75 gift certificate to the beautiful and yummy Palm Restaurant in Houston, Texas. But here's what you need to do. Be the first correct answer emailed to radio at shalemag.com. Again, that's radio at shalemag, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. And you'll win yourself a $75 gift certificate to the Palm Restaurant in Houston. Kim, that's about going to be a wrap for this week. Great show, great guest, great information. And until next week, you'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.